In the third, in the third century, there was a man who was anticipating his death. He penned these words, his last words, to a friend. It's a bad world, an incredibly bad world. But I have discovered in the midst of it a quiet and holy people who have learned a great secret. They have found a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of our sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They are masters of their souls. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Spurgeon said this, There is a marvelous medicinal power in joy. Most medicines are distasteful. But this, which is the best of all medicines, is sweet to the taste and comforting to the heart. This blessed joy is very contagious. One dolorous spirit. You're going, what's dolorous mean? I looked it up. (laughs) I guessed at it, but I was wrong. Somebody who is dolorous is always sad and gloomy and really sees the negative in everything. One dolorous spirit brings a kind of plague into the house. One person who is wretched seems to stop all the birds from singing wherever he goes. (laughs) But the grace of joy is contagious. Holy joy will oil the wheels of your life's machinery. Holy joy will strengthen you for your daily labor. Holy joy will beautify you and give you an influence over the lives of others. Joy. We are in a third week of Advent, and as Pastor Aaron said already, Advent means a coming, an arrival, and it's marked by an expectation, an eagerness, a longing, a waiting for this to take place. And so in Advent, it is not only, sometimes we think of Advent is just Christmas, or an extension of Christmas. Oh man, now we're celebrating Christmas for four weeks. That's not really necessarily what it is. Advent really connects us to the past, to the present, and to the future. In the past, we can read accounts of people that were anticipating the coming Messiah. They couldn't wait. And we understand that. We're now here looking back and going, hang in there, (laughs) hang in there. And there are, there are accounts of people who waited all their lives. And when he came, it was, ah, oh, he's here. And great exultation and so forth. In the present time, we are looking back, the Messiah has come. That advent was fulfilled. And so now in the present time, Because of the King Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, did come and he was with us and he continues with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to forgive our sins. He came to give us life. He came to give us victory over death and over sin. And we bask in that. And we even now, what we're doing in these weeks is we are looking forward to Christmas. We celebrate that on December 25th. That is the day we will celebrate the coming of King Jesus. And we do that. We give gifts because he was the greatest gift ever given to us. And so as we give gifts and we exchange gifts and receive and we feast and we celebrate on Christmas, it is because of the arrival of King Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what we do in the present. But we also are expecting, we are longing the day that he comes back. He will come back and take us out of here to go be with him forever in his presence, to worship him, to stand around the throne and say with a loud voice, as it tells us, we will be doing, says us in Revelation, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Oh, don't we look forward to that? Oh, we look forward to that. So during Advent, we celebrate what God has done. We celebrate what he is doing, and we celebrate what is to come. You know what? That second coming, the rapture may come before Christmas even still. I'm ready. I'm ready. Let's do this. Now now is a good time, Lord, even right now. During Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting. Each week, we're focusing on a different attribute that Emmanuel brought. Pastor Aaron preached on hope. Pastor Aaron, Pastor Mike preached on love. Today, we're talking about joy. Next week, Pastor Corey will talk about peace. All found in Emmanuel, God with us, that he brought to bring to us that those qualities might be found in us, his people. This morning, as we get started, I want us to focus on a person, a woman by the name of Elizabeth. You know the story, and if you don't, we're going to look at the story. So if you open to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read selected verses through here. And we're going to skip around and and patch the story together a little bit. But here is a couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And we're going to read about them and we're going to draw just some lessons, look at their lives and what can we learn from their lives. So we're in Luke chapter 1. It's the story of of Elizabeth and Zachariah, but I want to focus on Elizabeth. We're just going to read three verses to begin with. We are in Luke 1, and we're going to start with verse 5 and read three verses. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Verse 7, three little statements. Three little statements. They had no child. 
Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. We can, it's easy to skip right over that. Skip right over that. But I want us to take a closer look at what that meant. Especially in this day when this took place. For this young couple who were no longer young. So in the span of this small little verse, they went from a young couple, newly married, to an older couple past childbearing years. And in between, they had no children. Is that a big deal? These were their circumstances. This wife, this woman whose desire was to be a mother, endured all these years of having no child. These are her circumstances that she endured day by day, year in and year out, of having no child. Is that a big deal? Well, we see that they were in full-time ministry. They were seeking the Lord in their lives. Not that full-time ministry means that. But we see Zechariah serving in the temple. And it says right before that how devoted they were and they walked uprighteously. They sought the Lord in their lives, and yet their circumstances, no children. So they would have known Scripture, and they would have known Scripture well. So they would have known Psalm 127, where it says this in Psalm 127, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. They didn't have that heritage. The fruit of the womb, a reward. They didn't have that reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. They had no arrows. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Their quiver was empty. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. He would at the gate where they're all talking, carry on, they're talking about their kids. Zechariah couldn't talk about his kids. He had no kids. Probably there were times like, Zach, what's up, man? Aren't you a man? Can't you guys have kids? What in the world is wrong with you? In the context of the day, somebody has written, children allowed a family to pass on its name and heritage. They provided more hands to handle the daily tasks of life or to expand their ability to forge a livelihood through their trade or craft. Most importantly, children were viewed as a gift from God and a sign of God's favor. They didn't have that. They had no gift from God. They had no sign of favor. And if you can just imagine what life was like, especially for Elizabeth. She's hanging out with her friends, her lady friends. One by one, they're having children. And every time a child is born, she is no doubt excited for her friend who's having a child. But every time a child is born to one of her friends, she's going, Lord, I want one. You're not giving me a child. Could I have a child? It says later on, when the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah, 
the angel says, your prayer has been heard. He's beyond childbearing years. I'm sure he gave it up a long time ago as she would have. Because they know now it's impossible. So they would have stopped praying that prayer. They would have resigned themselves to the fact we're never having kids. And now this angel says, your prayer's been heard. Oh, we were praying that. What? So all those years, they were praying for a child. And God's answer was no. Their friends, man, when are you guys going to start a family? Isn't it about time? Their parents are roaring, come on now. We want grandkids. Some of you are guilty of that in here, aren't you? <laughs> Boy, we're trying. Friends going, away. we're praying for you. We're praying that you guys get pregnant. Hey, have you been to a doctor? Others would have said, hey, there must be sin in your life because you're not having a kid. Repent. No doubt that was said. This thing of having a child is as spiritual as it is physical and social. We just read that in Psalm. All kinds of advice. Boy, when we were trying to have a baby, here's what we did. Man, it worked like a charm. Years go by, no child. You all It became a thing. It was a thing in their lives. And now it's too late. And now, before even, it says Elizabeth was barren. She even had a label upon her as barren. <laughs> Here's a plaque. Barren. This was Elizabeth's life. These were her circumstances. This was her reality. Hard stuff. But there's a big old but here. We read it in in the middle verse in, in six. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all commandments and statutes of the Lord. Despite their circumstances, They still walk with the Lord, and they served the Lord, and they gave everything they had to the Lord, and they sought him with everything they were. There's a whole sermon right there. I love that. But we won't dwell there. But it tells us something about them. We don't see a sad, gloomy, glum, dismal picture of a couple They went on seeking God in their lives, serving him day by day. They walked righteously before the Lord, despite the hard thing. And then, and then, let's read verses 11, 12, 13, and 14, starting with 11. And there appeared to him, this is Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled, and when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
for he will be great before the Lord. Here comes the good news. Here comes the redemption. They've endured the hard thing, and now God brings a promise of great joy, deep joy, wide joy to them. Look over in uh, verses 24 and 25. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Other translations said her reproach says shame. She endured shame all her adult life. I mean, they were a young couple. We want to have a child. They would talk about that, and they would talk about how many children they might have. They might even picked out names already. Yeah, we'll call them Noah and Joseph. Good traditional Jewish names. And now the word comes. And now she's reflecting. The shame will be taken away. Oh, what joy. How about verses 57 and 58? 57 and 58. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. The word went out. A lot of people felt their pain all over the years. And here they are having a child, and everybody is rejoicing. Such fantastic news, rejoicing, joy. Friends and neighbors rejoice with her. Redemption has come to this couple. There is an immediate joy that we understand personally to them. They're getting to have a child and it's miraculous because they're beyond childbearing years as we have said. But there is a deeper thing that is going on. In verses 16 and 17, so we'll back up. In 16 and 17, we read, And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Prepared for what? For the coming Messiah. (laughs) Their son. It's not that you're going to have a son and fulfill their family No, their son, now let's remember that this couple have been seeking and walking and serving the Lord all their adult lives. They care deeply about what God is up to and being a part of what he is doing. Remember, Zechariah is serving in the temple. This is still sacrificial system going on. So people are still sacrificing, sin sacrifices and all that kind of thing. And he's a part of that. And he is seeing people repent, coming and confessing and so forth. But now his son, it says, is going to turn people back to their fathers. Their son is going to be a part of the sinner repenting and coming back to God. I don't know what kind of joy they must have felt in the realization of what God was going to do in their son, but I am sure in modern day vernacular, their heads would have just exploded. When I was in sixth grade, somewhere fifth grade, I don't know what, where I was, 
I, I grew up in a, in a rather restrictive environment on the Amazon River. And uh, one Friday night, uh, a bunch of us guys were allowed to have this sleepover in this house that was kind of out in the jungle. And we had mattresses on the floor and we had pop, all that we could drink, and candy. And we could be as loud as we wanted and we could stay up as late as we wanted. I mean, this to me was heaven. I will never forget the feeling that I had in the midst of that. It's like I didn't know the word then and the concept of hyperventilating, but I'm pretty certain I was doing that because I thought I was going to pass out because I was so excited about this freedom that I was enjoying. And that's silly. This is not silly. This is as deep as it goes. Because they care deeply about what God is doing and their very son. And there's huge joy in that being able to say our son. But then God was going to use him powerfully to bring the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Oh boy. When we talk about joy and an Emmanuel, God with us. This is a part of what we are talking about. When he brings joy, he brings it deep. He brings it wide. He brings it tall. He brings it everywhere. And it's as deep as it can be within our hearts. God with us brings joy. How does that apply to us today, though? This was back then. Well, what about now? So I'm going to ask you this question. Where does your joy come from? Where does your joy come from? In fact, maybe I should back up one. Do you have joy? Is there joy in your life? Is your life marked by joy? That is an important question, you all. It is a very important question. I'm not talking about happiness. I'm talking about joy, which is deep. I would venture to say, if your life is not marked by joy, if you do not have joy in your life, I will question whether you understand your salvation. I'm sorry to say, but I will say that. Because when we understand our salvation, we understand who we are as sinners separated from God forever with no hope. And God made a way through his own son who took our place to die. And when we believe in him for that, we are saved. We are made right with the Father. It strikes at the deepest depths of our souls and of who we are as a person. And there can be nothing but a response of joy, of gratitude, of like, oh, God, you're so good. That it ought to break us down to our knees and give God thanks. And then we are marked by joy. So what difference did Christ coming, Emmanuel God with us, When he came, what difference does that make? Why did he even come? And I think this is a good review for all of us. 
As I went through this little list that I'm going to go through now, I, it just broke me down. Good Lord, you are so good. What Jesus did when he came and was God with us on this planet and the reasons that he came and the things that he accomplished are so deep and so wonderful and so marvelous. They ought to make us just want to yell, yes, thank you, Lord. (laughs) If you were a person in here or you're a person online watching and you have not trusted yet, have placed your faith in what Jesus has done for you, You cannot know what this joy is. I want to invite you into that this day. May this be the day that you enter and find the joy that is as deep a joy as you will ever, ever find. It'll make all the difference in your life because it will give your life meaning and purpose. And you will know why you exist. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to save sinners. He saved sinners. Here we are. Hallelujah. He came to seek the lost. He came to look for the lost, to go find the lost and save them. He came to bring light to a dark world. He came to bear witness to the truth. He came to give eternal life. He came to demonstrate true humility. The King of Kings the Son of God, God himself came to be one of his creation, to live his life as a human, to endure all the temptations we endure, to endure all the ridicule, the injustice. He endured it all, even to the point of being nailed to a cross, a shameful death. Not only is it painful, but it was shameful. He was scoffed at. The king of kings endured that. That is humility. He came to preach the gospel. He came to tell us that the way of salvation, the way for your life to have meaning is to trust in him, to place your faith in him. Because the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and that we all fall short of God's glory. There is no way we can have a relationship with the father. There is no way we can be made right with the father. Because we have sinned, one sin, and we're disqualified, and that is true of every one of us. Then the Bible tells us that the wages or the penalty of that sin is death. It is eternal separation from God the Father. We have no hope. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. He paid our penalty. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Jesus came to be for us. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He came and he, the prophets had prophesied, and he came and showed what they said was right because they were talking about him. And he fulfilled the law. The law said that the wages of sin is death. That's why they sacrificed. He is and was our sacrifice. He fulfilled the law. He came to reveal God's love for sinners. Romans also tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we even knew, before we even existed, he died for us because of his love for us. He came to call sinners to repentance. 
A lot of times we hear that word repentance, repent. And it, I don't know what it means to a lot of us, but sometimes I think it means somebody's got a whip and say, you get it right. Or you're going to get punished. So the motive is, I don't want to get punished, so I'm going to try to get it right. That's not it. That's not what it's about. Even as Pastor Aaron said in our call to worship this morning, it is not about the judgment piece. It is about the alternative. Because God knows you were created for a life that is right with God. Because when that happens, all the pieces come together in our life. I thought of a stupid illustration, and I'm going to just say it right now. I got the hose out the other day to hose off some stuff or whatever, and I went and turned the thing on and got the nozzle, and nothing came out. That hose was not working. Nothing. I go, what is going on? There must be a kink. Sure enough, I went and found a kink in there. That thing was folded over. I undid that kink. I bit on it to make it straight because it's cold, and that thing is frozen. Not quite, but anyways. It ticked me off. <laughs> it doesn't make much to tick me off, but anyway. <laughs> I went to that nozzle and that water flowed, baby, because everything was lined up right. When we are made right with God, everything flows right in our lives, not our circumstances. We'll get to that. But the meaning of our life is like all the pieces snap into place. Oh. God, you are the one who created me. You love me. I am unworthy of your love. I've not done a thing to earn your love. That's right. It's just because I love you so much. Because I am love. So repent. And when you repent, it just simply means turn away from all the nonsense. Stop turning your back on me. Face me. Turn around and come towards me. I'm going to show you a life that is as deep as it gets, that is rewarding as it gets, it's as fulfilling as it gets, it's as gratifying as it gets. And you can't help but be joyous and exclaim, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. That's the repentance that Jesus came. It's because he knew there's a better way for us. He came to die. He came to serve. He came to bring peace. He came to bind up broken hearts. He came to give us the spirit of adoption. We are adopted into his family when we trust in Jesus. He came to make us partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> I like that. I want to partake of the divine nature because my nature stinks. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our politicians. (laughs) They're easy targets, baby. (laughs) It's hard to, as as we consumers of news and uh, watch from the distance what is going on, We see and hear and we go, okay, human nature, dude, it is all over that place, over in D.C. 
In fact, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, Republican, Democrat, or wherever you are, it's like all these scandals that we've been hearing about and all the rumors in Russia and China and blah, 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 on and on it goes. It's like, is anybody going to prosecute anybody? No, they're not. Because if one person gets prosecuted, the whole house of cards is coming down. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. They're easy targets. They're human just like you and I. It might be me over there. In fact, probably many times it is, but my life is more private than theirs. And so how dare I? But can you imagine... As believers, and there are many believers in Washington, there are many believers in the government. But if you imagine if they were all, their human nature was taken over by a divine nature, what would our country be like? Well, it's still full of us. (laughs) But there's a great promise here a divine nature. We take that on. Not because of something we've done, but because we are clothed in righteousness of Jesus and what he has done. And our position in Christ is made right before holy God. So we get to be partakers of the divine nature. He came to reign as king. He came to restore human nature. I've said that one already to holiness. I just love it so much. I want to keep repeating it. He came to be a merciful and faithful high priest. One who knows every temptation you face. He, in every hard thing that you face, he has seen it all. That is our high priest. He came to satisfy our deepest thirst. He came to reveal God's glory. He came to bring great joy. Great joy. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I was going to read it, but because of time, I'm not. But I'm going to just say this. Here's what we read in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. We will rejoice. When we recognize what Jesus has done for us, we will rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Our response cannot help but be an inexpressible joy. No words, just noises. (laughs) (laughs) but deep within us a gratitude and a response that changes everything about our lives. Ought to change everything about our lives. So my question is for us this. What will you believe? Emmanuel, God with us, or your circumstances? Will you believe Emmanuel, God with you, or your circumstances. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, he said, fear not. Don't be so freaked out. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I am bringing you the most fantastic news you could ever imagine and beyond. It is, and it will, it's all about Joy. In James, we read this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Count it all joy when you fall into trials. Count it all joy when you face stinky circumstances. Hello? How in the world do I do that? How is that even possible? First of all, we make the distinction between happy and joy. Happy is pretty much dependent on our circumstances. It's an emotion, and I feel so happy clappy. Oh, yeah, woohoo, yeah, because things are so great. When you crank your shin against the hitch on the back of the rig, yeah, baby, woohoo, praise Jesus. Ah, dude, thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's what I say. <laughs> I've heard some of you say that too. (laughs) How is it possible to have true joy in the midst of hard things? This verse tells us what we need to do and what we must do is while we are living at ground level, doing life, we must elevate, go up in the air, way up at whatever, 60,000 feet, and look down on our life to get a broader perspective and realize and understand that God is at work in our lives and he is allowing circumstances to happen in our lives, that God is in control of the drama of our lives. He's got it. Nothing will happen to us apart from his will in our lives. Sometimes he causes things to happen. Other times he allows things to happen, but he, none of it is outside his will. None of it. So he understands. And he says, no, I'm going to allow this to happen in your life. And I want you to keep your eyes on me in the midst of this hard thing you're going to go through. Keep your eyes on me. This verse tells us that when we do that, we keep our eyes on him in the midst of the hard thing that we face. It will produce steadiness in our lives. We're not so up and down that we're trusting in him and going, Lord, I got you. And I know you got me. As much as this life is ticking me off right now, Lord, and it stinks and it's so very hard, I trust you. And in that trust comes a peace and a hope and a love and a joy that cannot be there apart from God. That steadfastness then produces a perfect, complete, lacking in nothing life. We call this the sanctification process. It's the growing up. It is the maturing process in Christ. So we count it joy going, okay, baby, here we go. Come on, Lord, help me through this. Truly, that's the, that's the perspective we take on. It's like, okay, oh, man, this is a terrible situation. Lord, this is killing me, but I trust you. Help me through this. That old saying that God will never give you more than you can handle is just a complete fat lie. He will, seems like many times he gives us more than we can handle because he wants us dependent on him. And when we come through those circumstances dependent on him, we recognize how he sustained us through that and all that does is grow your faith and grows you up spiritually and you're in the maturing process. And that produces steadfastness, 
which then leads to complete, lacking nothing life. Many times the circumstances that we face lead to the very thing we would like to be free from. All the stuff. We can be free of the stuff when we have the right mindset as we trust in him. That is why we can count it all joy. So the challenge is get there. In your thinking, get there. Get up here and look down and go, okay, Lord, you got this. This is my life and it's hard right now, but I trust you. And we then shift from become, being a victim to being more than conquerors. Romans 8. What shall we say to all these wonderful things about what Jesus has done for us? If God be for us, who can be against us? My circumstances got nothing because I've got God and he's got me. Doesn't mean we don't endure hard things, you all. Psalm 30 tells us, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. There is weeping. There are hard things. And God understands those things. When you stub your toe, it hurts. When you sprain an ankle, it hurts. When you break a bone, it hurts. When your back is killing you, it hurts, and it goes on and on. You need surgery for whatever. There's an illness, there's cancer, there's the death of a loved one. They hurt. Sometimes they're all consuming. We've lost a lot of spouses. I'm kind of blown away how many people have died in our congregation, in our community. Spouses who have lost spouses. It's all consuming. It is abject suffering, grief, loss, pain. It's real. God understands that. There are times in, in the life of Jesus on earth where we saw the same thing. Where Jesus felt the pain. When he was in the temple overturning those tables, he wasn't going, woohoo, kicking your tail end. You ticked me off. Yeah, baby, I love it. Nope. But we know that Jesus embodies joy. When Jesus was going to raise Lazarus, his good buddy, from the dead, he knew he was going to do it. And yet when he came on the scene and everybody was weeping, Jesus wept. He was consumed by the grief. He was consumed by the pain that death had caused his friends. And he wept. When Jesus was in the garden, he was not jumping up and, jo- up and down with joy, with happiness. But the word of God tells us, even as he was sweating great drops as if they were blood, and he was crying out to the Father, take this from me, please, but not my will, thine be done. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. In the midst of the hardest of circumstances, underneath it was a joy. It was a knowing who he was and what he was about. May that be true of all of us. As we go through the hardest of circumstances, underneath it 
We know that we've been saved by God's grace, that we are his child and that he loves you and he's got you and he will sustain you and he will get you through this because while the night you might be weeping, joy comes in the morning. Redemption is coming. Joy is on the way. Happiness is on the way. It's coming. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus himself in John 15, 11 says this. These things have I spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy might be full. Wait, Jesus' joy in me? Jesus says that my joy will be in you. That speaks of a deep, deep joy because we know who he is and what he has done. It is abundant joy. It's an overflowing joy. It is a fulfilled joy. So can I say I love my life? How did Jesus accomplish being able for us to have his joy in our life? He gave everything. He gave everything. He gave his life. He allowed himself to be nailed to a cross and put up and to die on that cross. He gave everything that his joy would be you and me, in you and me. So is your life marked by joy? I want to say to you all, if your life is not marked by joy, you are cheapening the joy that God, through Jesus, has given us. Through the death of Jesus, you cheapen it. If your life is not marked by joy. And by that joy, I'm talking about that underlying peace and hope and love and joy that he came to give to us. The challenge for us is to not allow our circumstances to cheapen the joy that Emmanuel, God with us, has provided He knows your hard things. He understands your hard things. So let us, may you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The starter and the finisher of your faith. And may we, by his grace and by the power of his spirit, may we live the way he intended us to live in wonderful, life-giving, overflowing, unspeakable joy. Amen? Amen. 